What's going on, everybody? This is Drew here. I want to welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down episode number 52.0, and it's Halloween. You know what that means. The whole month of October, we are going to be playing our horror game, our horror series. And uh, we've had some stinkers in the past. Yeah. Yeah. We have. Uh, yeah. Anna was one. Um, then we had uh, Siren Blood Curse, which was just insane. But we had some good ones, too. We did Resident Evil. And um, uh, The Evil Within last year we did. Mm-hmm. Pretty good game. That was not bad, yeah. And uh, we're actually going back. We're going back to a game that we attempted to finish back in the old Zombie Frog Game Club days. In fact, it was the game that killed Zombie Frog Game Club. Uh, Curse. Yeah. <laughs> a little Curse. GameCube game known as Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem. And, uh, yeah... We're uh, we're gonna we're gonna be at this time. I'm gonna be at this time because, truth be told, I was one of the reasons why we stopped playing this game. Um, but tonight I have with me Matt Quinn. Hello, friends. And returning guests. In fact, we haven't had a guest for a while now. Yeah, it's um, been that dynamic duo for a while. I know, and a returning guest who we haven't had on for well over a year, Dave Payerly. Hey, hey! I'm so happy to be here. I it's, know you are. It's just lovely. Mm-hmm. So, Eternal Darkness. Um, it was originally supposed to be a N64 game. I, I looked. I looked this up a little bit, and um, yeah, it, apparently the development time took a little too long, and. Um, they moved it over to the GameCube. It's uh, developed uh, by Silicon Knights. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Silicon Knights is, uh, they, what's that? Near and dear to my heart. Yeah, they created a couple of games. One of them, maybe you may have heard of. It's called um, a Metal Gear Solid: The Twin Snakes. They created the um, the remake of the original Metal Gear Solid on the GameCube. Um. And they also created a Xbox 360 game called Two Human, which and before that, the one I'm, the one I love so much. Uh, yeah, I know. Go ahead, Matt. What is it? Legacy Kane. There you go. They kind of fell from grace after Two Human, didn't they? <laughs> after or during? It was probably <laughs> during. Yeah, because it wasn't Two Human in a 64 game at one time. <laughs> At least I think it was. Um, but yeah, they, they did it in with collaboration with Nintendo. I think Nintendo actually helped get that game made, um, which was kind of unprecedented for its time because Nintendo wasn't known for making their mature horror-themed games. Um, they usually stick to the kid-friendly stuff. Uh, but yeah, um, as we do with the, every series that we start off, I like to talk about our history with the game. Now, Matt... I know you have a history with it as well as I do. Uh, let's start off with Dave. Dave, what was your history with Eternal Darkness? Uh, my history with Eternal Darkness is it is maybe the oldest game on my backlog pile of stuff that I really, really want to play at some point. I remember 
I think I was still in college and my friend who is now my brother-in-law was playing it and telling me about how great it was and just like the sanity effects and all of that. And I have somehow managed to avoid playing it this entire time. That's pushing 20 years. So this is the first time you've ever actually played the game. This is, yeah. I, I think I might have booted it once. Like, okay. I think I might have seen the menu screen before, mm-hmm. but this is the first time that I have ever actually played the game. Gotcha. When did you pick it up? When did you buy it? Um, I have had it in and out of my hands at various times. I'm actually using a borrowed copy right now because I did not hold on to the one that I had, which is dumb because now it's like 30 or 40 bucks anywhere. Um, and was kind of a pain to find. It took me a while to find a friend who still had a copy. Mm. And, uh, Matt, what about you? Uh, I, I hadn't really played it much. I mean, I, all I knew, I think, was was the name. And, hey, if you like survival horrors, which I always have, you need to play this game. But I never really had a way to play it. Uh, I didn't get a GameCube until very, very late. Actually, well after the Wii was out, I picked up a GameCube. And I only picked up a handful of games. I only have four games for the GameCube. Um and this was one of the big ones. This was one of the reasons I, I picked that up. So at that time I had it, you know, I, I, I think I did about what Dave did and I got to the title screen. I said, Oh yeah, this looks good. I should probably play this. And then just didn't, didn't have that impetus or did, but I had a million other things to play and just never got around to it until we played it for zombie frog. Uh, in, at which time I, I loved it and got, I don't know how long the game is, but I got about 12 or 13 hours in. So I think we were pretty close to the end. Uh, so it's good. I haven't touched it since. And it's good to go back to it and revisit some of the things I saw and then hopefully get to see the end this time. Yeah. So my history with this game is kind of weird. So I was a big advocate of the GameCube. Um, I, you know, I bought one when it first came out, you know, and I was looking for games for it. That was one of the biggest issues with the GameCube is it, while it didn't have that many games on it, most of them that did come on it were really good. Um, and Eternal Darkness, I remember buying uh, at least within the first probably, it had to have been within the first month of, the, of release. Um, because I was like, yeah, I was a big follower of Nintendo Power, stuff like that. So I read about this constantly leading up to it. Um, one of the other interesting things that, um, I had, I had never really got into, I, 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 I guess it's Cthulhu mythos, um, any type of Lovecraftian stuff. I didn't know anything about that stuff. I never even heard of it before. Uh, and this was kind of like my first introduction to the old gods kind of thing. And um, I just found it so strange because I had never seen anything like this before. I, I was like, what is this? Is this ghosts? Is this uh, you know, zombies? Because you constantly see what looks like zombies and stuff like that. And it was stuff that I had never seen before. And I found it really interesting. I can't tell you if I actually beat this game whenever I first bought it. Um, because I can't remember. This came out in 2002. Um, 
so I was I was seventeen at the time, um, and um, I shelved it for a long time. And then finally, I picked it back up whenever we were doing it for Zombie Frog Game Club. And um, made it really, really far in the game and then got stuck. And uh, screwed myself. And here we are now, again. Um, uh, Another thing I do when I ask is, I'm playing old school. I'm playing a GameCube and a GameCube copy of the game. Matt, you're playing on the Wii, is that correct? No, I was going to play on the Wii. I was I was getting real nervous that that I hadn't tested the game out. So Friday, I decided, you know, let me just pop this in and make sure I'm ready. And you know, I'll settle in Saturday and get some hours into it. And then I went and opened up my case for the game, and there's no game in there. At which point, I realized wherever the heck. My GameCube is, that's where my copy of Eternal Darkness is. So then I started to be like, I might not be able to play this game this month. So your game, so your copy of Eternal Darkness has been in your GameCube ever since we stopped playing it for Zombie Frog Game Club. Yeah, I tell you, man, it broke us. It broke our (laughs) podcast. Basically stopped my GameCube from being used for anything. (laughs) This is is like one of those things where a family member dies and people just leave their room exactly the way it was for 20 years. (laughs) Like, you just set your GameCube aside. Well, I'm done with this forever. (laughs) So I I decided to do some deep diving because ever since I finally got my stuff from New York, you know, there's a handful of things that I I couldn't find. And I said, well, I must have lost these boxes, although I don't see how that is at all possible because a storage unit is a very square space. You can very easily look in and see if there's anything left and there wasn't. So, you know, I knew it must be here somewhere. So I just went and pulled everything out. You don't want to see my closet at the moment. It's just spilling out. Like it's throwing up all over my room, but uh, I did finally locate the GameCube and uh, the copy of the game was in there and nestled right next to it was the wave bird. So I am playing this on the, GameCube with a WaveBird controller. Gotcha. And Dave, you're playing on the Wii? No, I am uh, actually playing on the Dolphin emulator because I cannot find my Wii. Okay. But you, you do have a copy of the... Wait, all right, so you said you borrowed a copy? Yeah. Okay. How's that work exactly? <laughs> so well, I had... Well, I, as it turns out, I had two friends mm-hmm. who had copies. Oh, um, I so I, I have a I have a physical copy of the game, but I have to play it on Dolphin because there is a Wii somewhere in this house, but I I don't know. Mm, okay. All right. If I'm being 100% truthful, there is a physical copy of the game. There's also an ISO file sitting on my computer that is <laughs> actually being played. We, we won't rat you out, man. Don't worry about it. I, uh, you know, I've, I've bought this game three times. I think it allows me to emulate if I want to. So whatever. I, I, at one time or another, I had three copies of this game. But, that was, um, yeah, that, that was a very last minute. Oh shit. I'm glad dolphin is a thing that exists. Yeah. Kind of moment when I was looking around and I'm like, uh, I don't know. You're getting to play this all high res and everything. Yeah. Which is, I'm actually a little bit bummed out by. I 
really wanted to play it as it originally looked. So like I started playing, I was like, wow, this looks better than I would have imagined. Yeah. And then I realized that I'm seeing it upscaled. Um, but fortunately it plays fine because that was the other thing with emulation. Hopefully I don't get to a point in the game where it just takes a shit. Mm. Um, it's fine except for certain kinds of cutscenes just make the audio choppy and horrible. Really? Yeah, it seems like um there's there's the one part where you set a tapestry on fire and the fire effect just murdered my computer. I guess as soon as it was gone, everything was back to normal speed and frame rate. Wow. Okay. So it's very specific things. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all right. I mean, uh, you using a 360 controller on taking it? Yes. Okay. I, you know, I mean, I'm using a a not Nintendo GameCube controller. I'm using like a, a cheapo one that I got from a game store. But um, I kind of wish it was a better quality controller because this thing feels like every once every once in a while when I pull the trigger, it feels like I'm going to break it. So I don't know. I played all of Resident Evil Remake last year with it. So I guess I'm, I guess I'll be all right. So yeah, eternal darkness, man. So let's, let's kind of get into it. It's this, this game's all over the place. It really is. Um, it all kind of has like this hub world where, uh, it starts off you playing as this woman named Alex and I think it's what two thousand year two thousand I think. Um, uh, yeah, I think so. And uh, she is woke up in the middle of the night uh, to a phone call from uh, the police department in Rhode Island, saying um, that her grandfather had uh, been killed. And so she goes all the way to Rhode Island from wherever she was. I don't know where she was. Um to figure out what was going on when, when they get, when she gets there, I'm just, did, didn't, all right, I need to, I need to figure this out. Didn't she say, I'll, I'll, I'll get on the first flight out. Is that what she told the cop? Yeah, that sounds right. Like I'll be on the next flight yeah. or something. I'll be on the next flight out. When she arrives, the police are still there and the body is still there. Wouldn't you think? And the dude's just standing there drinking coffee. Yeah. Like maybe he's been there for half an hour. Maybe he's been there for two days. Yes. It's it's just kind of, he's just sort of chilling. Yeah. And uh, he's, (laughs) he's like, I'm hoping you can shed some light on this. And she's like, I don't fucking know. know? (laughs) And he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you lady. And I'm just like, somebody needs to back off here. I don't know who it is, but you know, it's, but yeah, when she enters the room where he was killed, the body is still there. And it's basically, I mean, according to GameCube graphics, it looks like a pile of, of nothing, but it, it, it's supposed to be like giblets. He's been torn apart basically. And he's laying there on his, uh, on his floor. And Alex is not having any of that. She's like, I'm going to figure out who the hell did this. And you guys need to, you know, step up your game. After he yells at the cop, why would you show this to me? Yeah, I know. I'm just like, yeah, that entire scene like made no sense. I'm like, okay, so she obviously had to fly to Rhode Island, which I mean, that process can take over a day, even when you're rushing. 
And, you know, why is the body still laying there? You know, why does she not go to a police station first? Who knows? We this, will we will never know. This is one of those things that I think is fun when you go back to older games, because like even in this era. But if you go back farther, it's like, oh, man, remember when voice acting was a novelty? So they didn't spend any money to get anybody good. Yeah. This is moving into that era of there's a story. It, we didn't really put a whole lot of thought into it. You know, it's it's a far cry like from today's high production values and, and things like that to where some yep. of those older stories are just nonsensical in the way that they come together and have great lines like fuck your stones. Yeah. God, man. Yeah. We forgot about that. Didn't we? That's, I think that's the last time I was here. Was which, it really? Which I said was going to be the last time I was here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Um but yeah, so she's decided she's going to do some investigating herself. She's going to go through her grandfather's notes so she can figure out who he was last dealing with. And um, she then begins to explore the house. And that's when we take over as her. Um, first, The first thing I have to mention is while this game may look dated, it has some crazy good atmosphere. Um, it uses like the static camera angles, like you would see in, in any of the old school, um, survival horror games. Um, in fact, it kind of controls a little bit like one. It doesn't have the tank controls per se. Um, but it, you know, you, there's plenty of times where the camera will change and I, oh, it fucks up the way I'm running, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the sound design is well, man, the sound design still gets me to this day while I'm playing it. Yeah, the, those those banging knocks on the doors. Oh my god, that's god. They still creep me out, even when I know they're coming. I walk by the door and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my god, that scares the shit out of me every time because it's so unsettling. Because there's nothing there. That's that's the biggest thing about this game is that the way the game screws with the player and i mean we'll get into it a little bit more but they have these novelty things you know like thinking your your controller's unplugged or you know making your screen turn black thinking it's you know you, you lost video or something like that um but there's there's like the small things like that where you just hear somebody banging hardcore on a freaking door that you're walking by and you you can't interact with the door. You can't open it. It's just like the game just almost ignores it. Like, Oh, that was just a sound, you know, it's part of the background. Yeah. And man, that is so well done what they did there. Um, but yeah, it starts off. We're just trying to figure out, you know, what exactly, um, her grandfather's name. I'm trying to think of what his name was, but I can't remember for the life of me. Um, so she, we can kind of like the house is pretty much blocked off for a lot of parts. Um, and there's nothing much to interact with. Like these first beginning parts are basically like they're funneling you into a certain area. You either see locked doors or you see nothing, you know, of interest. Um, one of the first, and they, they kind of use a little bit of puzzle solving and a lot of this stuff. So with the uh, 
if you if everybody remembers correctly, the opening cutscene with her waking up, it's the time is three thirty three in the morning, and that's one of the first puzzles. For some reason, they really nail that into your head. Um, and then they also you see like a clock, and I think it says it's stuck at three thirty three or something like that. There was something else. At, yeah, there's at the a, mansion that was there's stuck. There's a clock at, in the entryway. Yeah. Um, right and, in front of the steps. And you get a key for it, or you get a key that you thought was for the, um, for the clock, but it's not. And I have yet to use that key. I can't remember what it's for. I know it's for a drawer, but I don't know where. Oh, yeah. I have a dresser drawer key as well. But so, wait I don't, I don't think that room is open yet. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking too. But yeah, like the first puzzle in this game is you run into a broken clock where you can change the hands on it. And you obviously were like, well, it's got to be 333. And we said that. And oh, look, a secret passageway opens. And then we go into her grandfather's actual study. Where I don't even need to stop that clock at 333, do you? I think if you just keep advancing as soon as it hits 333. There, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so you don't even need the the answer to the puzzle after they've given it to you three times. Um, but yeah, that's that's the biggest thing is um, this game does a, a decent amount of hand holding. Um, I've I've never really ran into a puzzle that I was stuck at, even back whenever I remember playing it for Game Club. Um, but yeah, um, this is where we run into the, I, I would say it's a grimoire, but it's, it's the Tome of Eternal Darkness, which is basically the Necrocomicon. <laughs> um, it's a, um, it's a leather bound book made of human flesh. And it has what looks like a locking mechanism on it that has a, what looks like a human eyeball. And it stares at you and blinks sometimes, at least in the menus it does. Um, and when she starts reading from it, um, there's like a, there's like a footnote at the beginning saying, if you read from this, you can never go back kind of thing. And, uh, she starts to read from it. And then we start playing other people's lives, basically what happened in between um, from when this book, I guess, originated to to where she is now. And that's how the game's kind of divided into chapters, is these chapters of her reading the book. Um, and that's kind of like the, the beginning part of the game. Uh, I, I do want to talk about a, a couple of things as far as the gameplay goes. Um, the combat. Uh, and it's hit or miss. Yeah, I think in some ways it's kind of cool the way you can target the enemies. Yeah, you can target body parts. Parts of their body, yeah. Mm-hmm. I really I like that, and I remember that being one of the main selling points for it when it came out. Uh, on the other hand, through three chapters, I really haven't run into a scenario where the best option isn't cut off their head and then deal with them whenever because they're not going to do anything. Like, I can target arm and torso, but I haven't needed – there hasn't been a viable reason to do that. Right. I mean, it's – if you hit the – knock their heads off, they can't see. 
So then they kind of just shamble around, not knowing where to attack. Um, and then it, it's well, I watch. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, you you run into other types of enemies. Um, and I was mistaken, Matt. By the way, about about the choice that you make here. Um, so, uh, the first chapter when she starts reading is, um, takes place in the Roman times. Uh, let's see here. I, I got a time table here. Uh, it's, uh, 26 BC. You play as Pius Augustus, who is a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. Um, and he is ordered to go to a, um, it looks like a temple in the desert. Um, he tells his men to, to leave as he goes into the, uh, the temple. And this is like, where this is where we take over as him. And this, this chapter is real quick. I, I boot up the game just to make sure it worked. And I beat that chapter and I was like, Oh, I didn't know I was going to beat that chapter that fast. But this is basically like the introduction. So what we find out is, um, Pius basically turns himself evil as far as I can gather. So he obtains this ancient power that basically turns him immortal, undead, if you will. Um, and he kind of sacrifices his own, his own life, but like not in the sense that he's killing himself, but he sacrifices his own existence to serve this this god of some kind. Um, and in doing so, he's offered like immortality, great power, magical stuff. Um, and this that's basically just showing him how he's he's giving up himself to to serve this person. Um, and he may not have done it. He may have done it inadvertently, but we find out in a few other chapters that he's obviously serving somebody. Um, but the biggest thing here and what affects the entire game is what he chooses. So there's three pedestals that you, you come across. There's a red, blue, and green one. And originally I thought this had something to do with your magic in the game, like what type of magic you had. So magic that red would obviously fit refill your health. Blue would obviously refill your magic and green would refill your sanity because there's three meters in the game as well. Um, which one did everybody choose here? Man, I have no idea. You don't remember which one you chose? No. Matt, you I, know? I went with green because I went with blue last time. Okay. I went with blue. Um, and so what this does, I looked it up because I was curious. What this does is actually affect what type of things you you encounter in the game. If you choose red, you're going to run into red zombies or red monsters, whatever they are. And they generally have a different attack pattern as well as more health. If you run into blue, uh, you get these blue monsters who uh, have different types of magic abilities. On top of that, when you kill them, sometimes they explode. 
So you have to get away from them. Um, but in turn, it also helps you out because it can blow up the other enemies that may be surrounding them. And the green are uh, enemies that drain your sanity faster. Uh, and you also experience more sanity effects. Which I'm kind of glad I went with, actually. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the other mechanic I should exp- explain is the sanity meter. Uh, the sanity meter, basically anytime you were spotted by an enemy, a supernatural enemy of any kind, um, your sanity depletes to a certain amount. And Sorry, I had a sneeze. Um, if once your sanity goes down to a certain threshold, you begin to hallucinate. Uh, and these can come in the form of crazy stuff. I, I, uh, me personally, I've done three chapters in this and I have not experienced a sanity effect yet. I had one good one. So there's parts I remember distinctly remember having, uh, my character's body parts just start falling off. Yep. That's the one I had. Their arms just fall off and then their head comes off and you're still walking around. And then the, the screen will flash white and, and you're back to normal and you hear your character like saying, I think I'm going insane or something like that. Um, and like I said before, you'll have a prompt come up saying, please, con- you know, connect your controller. Your controller's, you know, screwed up. And that's kind of like the whole, you know, Hideo Kojima kind of thing of screwing with the, the player. Um, I remember there was one where I kept getting smaller <laughs> as I walked around in room. My character kept getting tinier and tinier to the point where you couldn't even see them. Like small stuff like that. And I remember later on in the game where you're playing as one of the characters that uses guns, you start running in, you run into a room and it's just covered with ammo. And so I'm sitting there picking it up and all of a sudden it flashes and there's no ammo in the room. I'm like, oh, well, shit, this is just completely fucked. So yeah, it, the, but the insanity effects is kind of what, Drew people into this game originally. Um, but like I said, I've, I'm three chapters in and have yet to experience one. Yeah. Same. I have not seen any of that stuff. And based on your descriptions, it sounds like I picked red. Okay. Which is, I don't remember doing that. I must have just grabbed the closest thing to me without realizing I had a choice. Gotcha. Um, I'm going to blame, I'm going to blame my, my sanity effect on the fact that I picked green uh, because I expect to see more of them, but really it was just because I, I had, I had a rough patch in chapter three. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so the, the other mechanic is, is like in order to regain sanity, what you can do is, is you can do a finishing move on an enemy after you, after you do enough damage to them, they fall down to the ground uh, and kind of lay there in a stunned state for a while and you can finish them. And if you finish them, uh, you regain sanity. If you leave them there though long enough, they disappear. Yeah. So you don't get the opportunity because I did that by accident a couple of times. I was dealing with other guys and they disappeared and didn't get low enough to trigger anything, but did not refill either. Um, and once you run out of san- sanity completely, your health starts to deplete slowly. So, um, it's a fine balance there. 
so yeah, after the first chapter, we take over Alex again. So it's basically like after you finish a chapter, we go back to Alex wandering around her grandfather's estate. Um, Which is creepy in its own right, because there's like walls that are bleeding when I'm walking by. Oh, really? Yeah, up on the, up on the, when you go to the second floor, I noticed one of the pictures was bleeding. There was like blood running down the wall. Oh, wow. I haven't even looked at that. Mainly because the first three chapters are right in that room. Because, you know, you, you read the first chapter and then you, you get like the next chapter. It's on the wall. Like right behind you. Yeah, right behind you. You can now read that one. And then the next chapter after that is in like a little tube that you get after you light the candles. So I haven't really left that room since. Um, there's a pretty good scare in this game uh, that I, I distinctly remember. I won't mention it here because I don't know if Dave has experienced it yet. Um, that when I first played this game, it scared the living shit out of me. Um, so we'll see if you actually run into that. I don't. I don't want to say it here because I don't want to spoil it. I have. I have not had a moment like that. Okay. To yeah. this point, it it happens with Alex. So when you start exploring the area, the 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 house with Alex, um, you'll eventually run into that. I think it may be completely optional. I don't know. The thumping made me jump, like you guys were talking about, and I think it's. I got it right after I finished chapter three. Yeah. Like basically, as soon as I started to walk anywhere, it sounded like someone pounding. It sounded like someone pounding on my front door. Yeah, it's that's it, so creepy. Like, like I can't explain how insanely creepy that is because it's not like somebody boom really loud. It sounds like somebody furiously trying to get in, trying to get in. Or it's I mean, it even sounds like it could be somebody trapped somewhere yeah um and it as you run around the house it's just constant it doesn't change volume it doesn't you know change direction or anything it it was just i ran around for a couple of minutes because i was like well i'll check the front door because that seems like a stupid idea um and yeah no it was just it was there (laughs) but yeah um Let's see, we did that. Uh, second chapter. Um, God, when does it take place? Uh, it takes place. It's like ancient Egypt, right? Um, I, I'm guessing so. It's, it's, uh, 1150 AD <clears throat> is when that takes place. So, um, I don't know if it's ancient Egypt. It seemed Egyptian. It, she seemed Egyptian, but I mean, it looked like she was in like the, the forest, some kind of like rainforest or something. Yeah, it says she was in Cambodia. Yeah. And her name is Elia? More like Thailand than Egypt. Yeah. But, um, she's, um, I don't know. The, the bad guy mentions, Nate calls her a dancer. So I'm guessing she's some type of dancer. Um, but she seems like just an adventurer. She's wandering around this temple trying to, you know, find something to do. Like she's like a teenager who's, who's bored. And she gets locked up in this, this temple that she's exploring and accidentally stumbles upon 
you know, some big stuff going on. Um, with her, it's all about solving puzzles that have to do with things in the environment. So, uh, you're going to run into a bunch of candles and the candles basically represent a time of day and they kind of nail this into your head constantly. Yeah. I was going to say that this isn't the most like complicated puzzle in the world. Yeah. And then on top of that, they're just constantly saying, maybe you should try this. You know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, you know, like you have three candles and then you have this, you know, picture of the sun rising and setting in the background. And then you click to look at it. It's like, maybe the candles reflect the time of day in the picture behind it. Yeah. You know, like they, they're, they're very ham fisted about pointing you <laughs> in the direction you need to go. Yeah. And so you, you're just wandering around this temple doing that currently. Uh, you do, there is one puzzle where you have to go a long way away and then come all the way back. And I think it was just so you could run the gauntlet of all those fucking traps. <sighs> those fucking halls. Yeah. So there's multiple halls you have to run through, uh, cause you got, you have to get some type of lever. And, um, and so you keep running through the halls. And if you step on certain types of pressure plates, it activates traps. Certain ones can be blades coming through the walls or uh, some kind of poison darts shooting through the walls. Uh, there's even like the ones that like smash together. Um, none of which instantly kills her, but most certainly damages her and stun locks her to oblivion. Oh my God. I got hit like four times in a row by those fucking blades because I got hit in the front, back, front, back. You know, it was like a fucking pinball table. Yeah, um, same. So you run you run through it, and eventually you get um, a um, – what was it? I think it was – was it, was it a, a staff of some kind, I think? It's Yeah, it's a staff that you use as a lever, and you get it from – the character you were in chapter one. Pious, yeah. So what ends up happening is she stumbles upon Pious Augustus, who obviously this was, you know, he was around in 26 BC. This is now 1150 AD. Time's passed and he's still around. And he is basically talking down to this blob of a monster. He's, he's, he's making fun of it and also like saying that it will never win, uh, kind of thing. And, uh, he keeps referring to this monster. So this monster I should describe is it's a blob with eyeballs and, and like mouths that's completely surrounding this room. Um, and he keeps referring to it as a, um, a defender or a, uh, a protector of some kind. Like, like, or what was it? Cause he says like, you're in prison now. So it's kind of like you're a warden. So it's funny that the warden is now imprisoned. So, um, we, I get the feeling that. Even though this thing's a monster, I don't think it's the bad guy. Um, 
And Pius tells us that you need to get the hell out of here. Um, tells tells the Elia, whatever her name is, um, because he's like, you don't belong here. You don't need to be here. She's freaking the hell out. Um, but for some reason, she continues on. And uh, in turn, after uh, doing a little bit more exploring, she finally comes upon... Uh, I don't know what the guy is. He's a robed man who comes to her and gives her a gift. And it is part of the, the life essence of that monster. And for like, does anybody remember what that monster was called? Uh, it was the heart that, she, that he gives her, right? Yes. So the it's the heart. Um, I think Manta rock is the, Manta is the monster. Okay. Um, and he's like, you need to keep this safe because it's what's keeping him alive, keeping the monster alive, basically. So, um, unfortunately she gets captured by Pius, uh, and Pius and his men, uh, hold her captive. He's like demanding where, where it is. And what happens, what, what, what we, he doesn't know is, is that the life essence or the heart went inside of her body. So, um, she, she refuses to tell him. I don't know. It seemed like she didn't really care, but then for some reason she did. Um, I I don't know. Um, Let's see here. Da, da, da. She's chosen to bear Monitor, Mantarok's essence. Um, and then uh, at the end of the chapter, Pius kills her for her resistance to him shortly afterwards. Um, so she dies. Um, and then we get a cutscene of uh, Pius talking to somebody. Um via like this weird communication, like this ancient communication device. We don't see what's on the other end, but the, uh, the person's talking and it's basically like they're talking about their big plans. Um, and it seems to me that these, these people that he's serving are trapped and they're trying to figure out a way to get them free. Yeah. To earth. Yeah. Uh, they need to cross over into our realm of existence and Pius is there to help them do that. And they, they, they're just like, we, we, you know, like they, they have no, no issues of telling Pius, you know, we're just using you to get what we want. And he's like, well, I agreed to it, you know, kind of thing. Well, I guess he's like, you gave me eternal power and, you know, eternal life kind of thing. So I'm just going to keep going with you guys. And they, they kind of dress him down constantly. Um, and so they are basically trying to alter time in order to get what they need. We don't exactly know what they need just yet. But um, the next thing on their list is uh, dealing with um, Charlemagne. Um, and so we go uh back in time almost so we're, so we're basically we're in time we're we're going forward in time and then all of a sudden we're going back in time 
So um, when you say we're going forward in time, what is actually happening at this moment? Is Alex reading a story from this time period, or is she experiencing it? What what sort of time is actually what's I, actually happening? I think I think she's just reading all this, and we're playing it. So she's she's reading what happened, and for some reason it's not in order. So it's not in order from what happened the first to what happened at the last part. But at the same time, we get that cutscene where Pius is talking to the old gods or whatever, and it's happening in between Alex doing things. So I'm thinking, is this happening in a different time period, a different realm? Or is this something that's already happened? Yeah, that's that's a hard one to think. I don't know. It, it feels like it's all being told in flashbacks. It seems that way, yeah. Yeah, because it can't just be in the book, right? Who Who wrote the book? I mean, I guess everybody. Does anybody write it, or is it like reality is imprinted in the book? I mean, obviously somebody wrote it because um, if you remember, like she read the first page, and it was—I think it was her grandfather who wrote in it, saying, "If you read this, there's no going back," kind of thing. But then, like, who who would have written that section when Pius was was speaking? I don't know. I don't know if that's happening in the book or if that's happening in real time. I don't know. I could not tell you. Interesting. But, um, so we go back in time for the third chapter. And the third chapter we play is a guy named Anthony, who is, I think, like an errand boy or a messenger for Charlemagne. Um, who was what, a leader of what was it was he the king of something I don't know who Charlemagne is let me look him up uh, Charlemagne uh, also known as Charles the Great uh, was the king of the Franks uh, he united a large part of Europe during the Middle Ages so there you go uh, and so he we're playing as Anthony he is a messenger um, who is giving, he's given this scroll to, that's supposed to be taken to Charlemagne, and nobody's supposed to read it except for him. And immediately after he gets it, he reads it. And it's magically infused with something. He kind of gets hit with a spell. Yeah. Yeah. Curse. Yeah. And so Anthony is now cursed, um, and he realizes this was for Charlemagne. So he's like, I need to get to him and warn him that somebody is after him. Um, so um, it's basically about us trying to get into a room with Charlemagne there because <laughs> uh, it doesn't take us long to get there. Um, and then the door's locked, and he, why didn't he knock? Why didn't, why, didn't, why didn't he bang on the door and say, hey, there's bad things happening? So um, we go into the church and we discover that there are priests there. For some reason, nobody looked in this casket. I don't get it. Um, we open up a casket and there's a priest there who looks like something exploded out of him. 
alien. Like uh, an alien, like a face hugger. Yeah, and they um you don't see any of it, but it's specifically pointed out that that's not the first person who has died. Yeah. Yeah, and they say he died by what falling off the tower or something. And they say, well, that doesn't look like a body that died by falling off the tower. Yeah. Yeah. And and it definitely seems to surprise the monk who is standing there. Yeah, directly next to the fucking casket. Yeah, because he's like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's like, this is something bad. And he gives Anthony a sword and is like, you need to find Charlemagne and, and tell him about this right now. So in order for us to get into the door that's directly beside the fucking coffin where Charlemagne is, we have to go all the way around this freaking cathedral. Um, and you know, along the way, uh, every time we kind of enter a new room or something like that, uh, Anthony's kind of taken over by that curse and he's slowly but surely deteriorating into what looks like a zombie. He looks like, a, he looks like he's slowly turning into a dead person. Um, and we obviously keep playing. We're running into enemies, stuff like that. Um, and we run into uh, some monks who are basically – like it's weird. So there's certain monks that we're helping and they help us. And then there's some monks that look like they're trying to get away from us in a very quick manner. Um, and here we solve a few other puzzles, which is basically this is where we learn how to use magic. So. Mm-hmm. Certainly kill a monk while I'm trying to kill zombies attacking him. Oh, great. Nah, mine survived. Um, mine. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, so um, we we're basically learning how to do uh, magic spells, and we do that by – it's, it's, a, it's a fucking process. So, one, you have to have runes which hold a key component to a spell. It's basically an incantation. And then you have to have a, basically what they call, it's not, they don't call it a blueprint, but think of it like a blueprint. So we have, our first blueprint has three signs that we can use from runes. And, um, then you have to, you don't have to have the spell list, but you can just mix and match and experiment and see what you get. But, um, it's interesting because, especially like a, a guessing game, trying to figure out what these things are. So we get one spell, especially like, here's how to do this spell. So we know it, and we can, once we know what a spell is, we can actually map it to a button. Uh, one of the most important things to know about these spells, any spell, is that when you cast them, you can't move. You yeah. can't, you, you can move, but the spell will mess up. The same thing when you try to use that, um, necklace to regain life. Yeah. I wasted they, two of those. <laughs> so basically, that's what we end up doing is uh, we use we we learn a spell to restore items back to its former self, basically. So um, one of the puzzles is we we have to get these three jars, two of which are broken into pieces, and then we are able to mend them together with the uh, the spell itself. And then we need to go fill them up with water. Luckily, the the fountain is in the next room. These aren't hard puzzles, people. <laughs> it doesn't take long to figure this out. 
Um, so needless to say, we get the key. That's the big thing. We get the key that opens the door to where Charlemagne is. And we have to run all the way back to where the way we came. Uh, and when we reach almost to the end there, we run into our first boss fight. Um, I had no idea what I was doing here. I just did this probably like 30 minutes ago, but I don't know what I was doing here. I, I kept slashing away at it. I could see it had three heads or three faces and I tried hitting the faces and I kept missing because at this point, Anthony is like pretty much undead now. And he's like, he's slowly like just scrambling around. He can't really move efficiently. Um, but I killed the boss before dying and I went down the stairs and there's more zombies. there, just standard zombies and they hit me until I died. But, and I think this is just because I'm playing as Anthony and he's basically already dead. When he died, he came right back to life and had his health refilled. Yeah. He's kind of invincible. Yeah. That's, I was wondering about that because I was constantly at low health with him. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, combining runes, like, well, the other person had a healing thing. Maybe he's got a heal and I never found it. And that, that explains that. Yeah. I was, I was, I, I tried that too. Cause after that boss, I was like, man, I got to heal. Cause I, in case I run into something else and I tried every single combination and nothing. I'm, I know that there is a healing spell. I know for a fact there is one, but I couldn't tell you what it is or where you get it. So, uh, but yeah, uh, after making it to the room, the big room that's been locked this entire time to, to finally warn Charlemagne of treachery. When we get there, there are some of those hooded figure monks there along with Charlemagne's dead body. Uh, at the same time, Anthony has already turned full zombie at this point, and he he looks like he's about to kill over and die, which he he does, uh, <laughs> while laying next to Charlemagne's body. And that's the end of the chapter. Had one job. Yep. Just delivered the fucking message, man, and this wouldn't have happened. So here's my thing. I can't really remember this game. I know I've made it past this definitely, but. My thing is, is that, was this something, was this the plan that Pius had in mind? Was his plan originally to deliver this message to give to Charlemagne so he gets the curse and gets turned into zombie person? And Anthony kind of screwed that up? Or has this always happened and we're reading about it in like a history lesson. Matt, you, you bring up a good point talking about that because I have no idea. Yeah, and I, that was sort of one thing that felt a little different this playthrough so far. Because the last time we played through it, all of these things were so disjointed. I mean, not just the not just the different time periods and characters and all that, but even like when you're in this monastery and you walk upstairs and then all of a sudden things get shimmery and you're in a different hallway where you pick up the Tome of Eternal Darkness again. 
Right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and like and, the the floor is howling souls and something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're already talking. Every one of these chapters is like an abstraction from the the Alex story, and then things like this are like weird fragments of abstractions even within each chapter. And so the first time I played the game, I'm like, I don't fucking have any idea what's going on. And this time, it makes a little more sense, but only in that I have a context for the things I don't understand, as opposed to just not understanding any of it. But uh, yeah, that's one of the things I'd like to try and get out of this game, is once you get more of the story, does it become more coherent? You know, is is there a, a logic behind the scenes that pious is using or the old gods are using maybe more than just pious to accomplish. And that's in Drew, you raise an interesting question for, was that the plan? Because your, your assumption is, yeah, okay. He was supposed to get this scroll that was going to kill him, but you're already in this monastery where, you know, you find out that, you know, the Bishop is into some crazy shit and they've already got Charlemagne locked in a room and he's dead by the time you get there. So that was going to happen anyways. So did did you not show up with the scroll and so they bumped him off? Was the scroll intended to do something different and you didn't get there in time? You know, like wh- what was actually the plan versus what actually happened? Yeah, I mean, if they could have just killed him like they did, it seems like using a cursed scroll is a, oh, maybe not overkill, but low likelihood of succeeding. Yeah. Or like, all right, look, if the, if the scroll guy isn't here by noon, then just fucking stab him. Cause we got to keep moving with this. <laughs> Game of Thrones on later. Got to watch it. Yeah. They, they had a backup plan. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's, it's interesting, but yeah. So yes, that's where we're going to stop. Um, well, we, we're just going to do like three chapters <laughs> per recording. Um, we may do a few more since, um, Matt, you're going to be like completely out of town, right? Yeah, out of town, out of out of contact because it's it's so much so much packed into one week next week. Right. So it's I mean, when, what I may end up doing is just doing an intermission uh, with somebody, just sit around talk for a little while or something like that, and then uh, we'll 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 pick back up uh, in two weeks, um, and hopefully we'll get this done. After you know, before or during the week of Halloween, uh, it's not that long of a game. In fact, I'm looking at the wiki for it, and it's basically, yeah, we've got probably seven more people to go by. I mean, we they're all divided by chapters, but I mean, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, each chapter didn't take that long. Now I know that the one coming up takes a little bit longer because I remember this one. This is the one where we play as the. Um, the Persian guy, I think. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I like, I can't remember how far I made it in this game, but, um, yeah, I, I still had my old save on my GameCube, So I know I was about 12 and a half hours in. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, I had to have been there cause I remember I quit, but I, I for the life of me, I can't remember half this game. Granted, it's been what? Seven years. So, but yeah, I I am totally down for this game. I don't know why I hold this to such a high regard, but I always kind of it's always been kind of endearing to me. 
And uh, I really do want to see it through. That's that's the biggest thing for me. I'm, come hell or high water, I'm gonna fucking beat this game. <laughs> I've already made up my mind about that because I like I, I've, I've this bested me before, but it's not doing it this time. Um, well, it seems like much less of a commitment than some of the other games we've tried to beat. Yeah, you're not kidding, dude. We beat Persona Four this year. It took like almost eighty hours. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, Trails of Cold Steel. 60-something hours. This game's 12. Supposedly. <laughs> so, I don't know. But yeah, that's it. Um, emails. Uh, I didn't get any, but uh, if anybody would like to send us an email, it's drew at ztgd.com. Uh, you can talk to us by Eternal Darkness. Um, we will definitely take any and all um, explanations so far. Um, you can follow us all on Twitter. I am at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS and Dave is at box DP. And you can follow the, uh, the podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix down. But yeah, I think that's about it for us. Um, it's been, it's been a long time coming, but we're finally going to play through this game. I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited. I, 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 because I can't remember any of it, I'm, it's kind of like I'm playing it again. I'm sure something will happen that will drive my memory on certain things, but yeah, going back at it now and now seeing, knowing a little bit more about the whole old gods thing, it, you know, I want to see where it goes. I don't think it goes full blown Cthulhu, but you never know. Before we leave real quick, Dave, you mentioned you haven't played this before, right? Correct. So do you have any? What are your first thoughts on it? I mean. So my big things that I knew coming in were the sanity effects and um, the targeting individual limbs. I haven't seen the sanity effects yet. And like I said, targeting the limbs hasn't, sorry, had much of a purpose outside of like, if you cut off things as heads, life is much easier. Um, so I'm curious to see where that stuff goes. My, I, my big impression from the game is it made me think of Devil May Cry, the original in a weird way, just in the sense that, that, you know, the, the story of that game is we started making Resident Evil four and then we went off in a weird direction and it became this thing. That's what this game feels like. This game feels like we started to make a Resident Evil game, but then, I don't know, Tim had an idea and we, we wound up with this. Like it, it feels like it has that same core to it. Um, even with like, you know, the way that Code Veronica introduced the, the hallways that you would actually move through that weren't just static, um, backgrounds. Yeah. So I, this, this, feels very much in line with those games at that time. And if you remember correctly, in the original version of Resident Evil 4, they had sanity effects. The, yeah, like that, was that. And that first trailer was even in a castle, too, wasn't it? Yeah, if it I'm, was. Uh, you, like, I've told people a million times ago, look at that. Look it up on YouTube. You just type in like Resident Evil 4 original. And they had a full-blown demo with Leon... And the story was supposed to be Leon was infected with like the G virus and he was slowly turning and it was 
every once in a while he would go through these insanity episodes where he would see things that aren't really there, but they could still kill him. Um, and I love Resident Evil four, but damn, do I want to play that game? I I just want back the fur lined coat that he was wearing <laughs> in that original trailer. Yeah. So good. I don't know why that's what I fucking remember. Yeah. I from remember. that. Yeah. He, he, he also looked kind of burly. Like he, he maybe had too many cheeseburgers. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I got a little doughy when the virus set in. Yeah, I guess so. After, you know, Raccoon City, he was just like, fuck, I'm hungry. You know, so I don't know. But yeah, go check out that video. It's actually really, really interesting to see what happened there. Um, and you can definitely see where they took some influences and made it into Devil May Cry. Um, but yeah, Devil May Cry is like a whole different beast nowadays. In fact, I think that series is dead, unfortunately, now. And that that was much farther from the Resident Evil format than this is. It's just like, like I said, when I was playing this, I was like, this, this feels like an offshoot, you know? Yeah. This feels like it could have come out of Capcom at a time where they were like, well, this works. Let's, what if we put a different spin on it? Yeah. Resident Evil 3.5 or something. Yeah. It, it, it just, it has that same kind of feel, uh, and the atmosphere to it. Yeah. Well, we're going to keep going. I think, I think we all enjoyed it enough to where, it's no alone in the dark. We'll put it that way. That is, that is the best thing you could say about anything ever. Yeah. I like, seriously, there, there's been times <laughs> where I would go back and remember a game fondly and say, man, this didn't hold up at all. Holy fuck. <laughs> alone in the dark. I detest that game. I hate it with every fiber of my being. I platinum that game. Just so I can say, I never have to go back to it ever. And you sold me on the concept. I know. By telling me, yeah, it's got some rough edges, but it's overall pretty good. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you just, if, <laughs> if time had clouded your judgment, it, it does have some interesting ideas, but it's not, it's not worth the trip. No. <laughs> Every once in a while when I'm bored. I will go back and listen to us talk about pretty much the last probably half of that game because we did two episodes. Listening to the last episode of Alone in the Dark is some of the funniest fucking shit ever because we all just fucking raged on this game. I, I was legitimately angry at you. I know. For talking me into that. <laughs> I remember you were like <laughs> something about like the cars. It was like, I don't know what happened. I was driving the car and I must have hit like a blade of grass or something. Cause like the hood came off, all the doors blew open and I did a 180 in the air and I don't know what I hit. Oh yeah. Driving around that final section. Oh God. Oh. I never want to go to central park. Fuck that. I need it. I need a drink now. Oh geez. Yeah. But no, it's good having you back, Dave. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to be back and. And playing something that I don't dread having yeah. to go back to. <laughs> oh, God. But, yeah, uh, that's it for us. I do appreciate everybody listening. Um, we will probably – I'll probably do an intermission show next week just to have something. Uh, I'm sure I can get probably Jay or somebody, whoever wants to record. Um, and uh, But we'll be back in two weeks to continue uh, Eternal Darkness. But until then, I'm Drew. And I'm Matt. I would be Dave. And we're out of here.
hope you guys have a great week, and we will be back with more Eternal Darkness Sandy's Requiem.